And thank you for joining us on the Society Publication Designers Who the F Did That podcast. I am your host, Natalie Gaialuka. On this episode, we talk with two HR executives who have a combined over 20 years of experience. Jocelyn Yant is a senior recruiter at Creative Circle who places creatives in positions at brands such as Facebook, The Guardian, Pepsi, and more. Bucky Keaty is an executive coach and a talent and culture executive who coaches VPs, CEOs, and top execs and has worked with some of the top media and advertising agencies in the world. She's worked with some brands, including Disney, Marriott, and AT&T. Hi, Bucky. Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your background and how you uh, got to where you are today? It's absolutely my pleasure. Um, I have been in the media, entertainment, advertising, uh, marketing space for a very long time. I was first with Condé Nast for several years, and then I moved on to Time Inc. up until a couple of years ago, where I was the head of global talent management and acquisition, um, which I loved, which actually meant I had the greatest job in the world. I got to bring people into the company. It was somebody else's job to take them out, but I got to bring them in. So I had an awesome job. That's amazing. And that's actually how I know of you. Um, I worked at Time Inc. for many years when I was at Entertainment Weekly. Mm -hmm. And I also read your column, which you had every month in Real Simple, that was like an ask the manager, ask HR type um, employment question. So uh, I was a big fan of that column. Lots of good tips. Thank you. Um, So let's get right into it. Basically, most of our listeners are members of our organization, SPD, the Society of Publication Designers. And we come from a background of working in magazine publishing, whether it's creative directors, photo editors, art assistants, photographers, illustrators. And over the past several years, there's been a huge decline in the number of magazines, which means the number of magazine jobs. And that leaves a lot of people really questioning, should my next job be in magazines? And a lot of people wanting to pivot to something else um, in the same creative world, but maybe not in magazines. Um, So I guess my first question is, what would be some key steps um, for someone who is looking to transition? What should they do um, first? And Jocelyn, I'm going to start with you. If you want to Give, give us your tips and your tools of what we really need to focus on first. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So I think um, first and foremost, it's important to remember that um, just because you start a career in one place, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there the rest of your life. Um, a lot of people transition careers and have many different vocations throughout the course of their professional professional life. So I think starting with that point and realizing that it's possible is um, a really great attitude to have. It it can be difficult at times to transition, but um, it happens for a lot of people. You make it work um, and you work hard to do it. So I think it's important to remember that there are some, um, you know, tools that can be very helpful um, in, in, you know, in this endeavor. And it's important to remember that, um, you know, your hard skills 
and your soft skills are definitely transferable to your next vocation. So what does that um, mean? Um, just before you keep going, um, some people, including myself, might not be familiar with some HR terminology. So I'm just going to stop you along the way if it gets great, too insidery. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> so, so what's hard um, and soft skills? Okay, so hard and soft skills, I think that, you know, it's broken down into two categories. Hard skills are you know, those, the skills in your, your tool belt, um, you know, the, the things you do on the day-to-day basis, you know, if you're doing art direction, it's like your ability to, you know, concept an idea, come up with, you know, the execution of the strategy, gather, you know, herd the cats to make your shoot work, um, manage the budgets and timelines and production elements of it. So to me, that's, those are your hard skills, those technical skills, you know, maybe being able to jump in, um, you know, and work with an editor, you know, maybe your ability to use a little Photoshop to, you know, tweak an image as well. To me, that's, those are kind of the tangible hard skills. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that help? Yeah, definitely. And what are soft skills then? I think so. I, I categorize soft skills, more of those personality traits, um, mm-hmm. you know, those things that drive you as an individual, your, your communication skills, um, your ability to, um, you know, manage multiple projects and your ability to keep a, a conversation and dialogue and a cadence with, you know, different um, partners and people who have competing viewpoints. So I feel like the soft skills are more the interpersonal skills, your personality traits, those things that kind of, um, you know, make up who you are in your essence. Oh, that makes sense. So you're kind of like looking at that job and then figuring out what hard and soft skills would apply. Yes. And what it would take to, you know, pivot to, to that, um, you know, that new, that new career you're looking for. And I think it's important to remember that those skills are transferable. The skills you've, you've gained from previous employment, previous job titles, previous experiences up in the workplace um, can pivot over into a new field um, and they're transferable. So I think it's about learning how to really actualize those transferable skills, communicate them, um, not only to the hiring manager, but, you know, in your resume, in your portfolio. But I think a, a, a big unspoken thing is a lot of people need to develop that confidence, for lack of a better word, in themselves. And remember that just because you're in one place doesn't mean you have to stay there. People um, morph their careers all the time. So having that internal, like belief in yourself that you can do it is I think another important component that a lot of, um, people don't necessarily think about often. So I think it's important to remember that. That's a huge part of it. And I think in magazines, they definitely, uh, there's like a mindset of, well, there's so few jobs. You are really lucky to have this job and it kind of kills your confidence a little bit. Absolutely. Yep. And it can be very depleting for the soul and your confidence. And you, a person, I could imagine a person might feel stuck there and like, they don't Mm -hmm. have any other skills that they can, you know, offer outside of that very niche industry. 
Right. So I think it's important too. And I think Bucky will probably speak to this to do a, a skills, skills assessment, you know, figure out like, you know, make a list and it can be as simple as making a list of what you're really good at, what you could improve at, what you love to do in your current job, what you don't like to do and kind of those, um, what you want to bring into your next role. And I think sometimes like writing it down on a list and actually seeing can be very eye-opening because if you're, if you're feeling kind of stuck in a, in a pattern or a little dejected about your current situation, you're not always thinking about, you know, things optimistically and the, the, the value that you have and the value that you bring to the table as a, you know, potential employee. Right. And Bucky, you've said, um, a lot about this too, about really having that, uh, talk with yourself about, about how to go about that transition. Huge. So let me just riff off of what Jocelyn was saying. This is probably the deepest, darkest part of your journey. You're going to take in trying to pivot, which is really, um, doing that necessary work with yourself to dive in and recognize where you are emotionally about the fact, okay, you had a great career in media, you were challenged, it was interesting, hopefully you did a lot of multi-platform work, but it's a very emotional time when you pivot in your job or you're forced to pivot in your Mm -hmm. job. So it's really necessary that you step back and you do that personal homework. And sometimes that means talking to a therapist. Sometimes it means to talking to your core group of professional friends and how they're feeling. But until you get your mindset in the right place to go ahead with this job search and to do that analysis of your skill set and your competencies, excuse me, until you get that hard work done, are you emotionally ready to make this change? You're not going to be your best self coming across in the interviews. So it's really, really important to do that homework first. Yes. I feel like that is the best advice. Our listeners only have one thing to take away from this podcast. I I think it's that because as someone who's worked in magazines for a long time, I inevitably got laid off. And I worked really hard at my job. I loved my job. I felt like I did a good job and I still got laid off. And the mental toll that that took, Yeah. I mean, I would, I would work there my entire life. I, I absolutely loved it. I never thought I would not be working at a magazine and it was extremely traumatic. And, you know, they, when, when you get laid off, they give you that package where you get to talk to HR people and <laughs> coaches and, and, you know, they're great. And they give you some real good tips about, LinkedIn and and resumes and things that are very important, but nobody stopped to ask, well, how are you handling this mentally? Mm -hmm. Like, what is your next step? And I feel like having that conversation, I ended up, you know, ending up with uh, COVID happened not that long after I got laid off. So I really had to force myself by no choice, but to sit and think about what I was going to do next. And uh, that time was the most valuable. Now I really feel like I have a clear direction. So I think that everyone out there really needs to hear, hear that and take it to heart because having that conversation and maybe you have that conversation, you really don't want to change jobs. <laughs> maybe you're yeah. like, you know what? I, I do want to stay in this industry. I want to, you know, try for another magazine or, or not, but 
I felt like that was the best advice I'd, I'd ever heard. The industry has transformed itself so much in so many different ways that there mm-hmm. are elements of it that you can find a correlation to what you did before that will give you that same wonderful feeling. But you're doing it in 2021. And not only using resources like your close friends and coaches and therapists, this may sound funny, but there are so many podcasts that are available. There's so much information out there Mm -hmm. right now that you're not alone. And they can give you tools to help yourself go over that emotional hurdle. And it really helps out because you do need your swagger when you go start putting yourself out there with those interviews. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I remember years ago telling one of my friends this, she had just um, actually been let go or fired from a job and um, she was having a very, very hard time reckoning with it. And, um, you know, because it's traumatic, just like it is to be laid off or to be forcibly let go, you know, and I, I remember telling her that, look, you have to be comfortable with it yourself before you start going on interviews. If that means role-playing that Mm -hmm. answer, when that question comes up, why did you leave your last job? Get comfortable with that answer. You know, know know what your truth is because otherwise the person on the receiving end is gonna call it as a hoax or hoax or um, won't believe you. So that confidence has to like exude from you. So it, it takes a lot of soul searching and reckoning and it's not easy. It's never easy to dig through the mire of it, but it's, I think, a necessary tool, you know, especially in this day and age where there are so many layoffs and jobs have just, you know, the industry has changed and jobs become obsolete overnight. But it's important to let that go and realize that you still have potential and you still have a great arsenal of skills and tools to offer your next employer. Yeah, there are a lot of layoffs. I used to joke that I felt like I working in a magazine, I was on my team and I, I was just hanging on for dear life. Mm-hmm. And I survived so many rounds of layoffs. Yeah. And then there were no more lifeboats and I was I was yeah. gone. <laughs> and that 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 soft skill would be your tenacity, you know. Yeah, it shows that you have tenacity. It shows that you, you know that you can pivot. It shows that you, you know, can manage multiple things if you are able to still succeed in, you know, a, you know, a company that was having multiple rounds of layoffs, because that can be emotionally just draining for survivors as well. I'm going to write that on my resume right now, adding tenacity. (laughs) Um, One other thing you mentioned was uh, role-playing and um, that's something I find it really hard to be in interviews. I I get so nervous, even if I know I'm insanely overqualified for this job. I I just get, you know, it's like you're you're biting your tongue the whole time, super nervous about it. And I felt like you'd mentioned role playing was a very um good skill or a good way to build your skills um for how to be in an interview. And would you have any other tips or either of you have any other tips for when you're in the interview, what to do? Can I jump in here? I think what's really important is that you've done your homework on number one, the company, but you know that job description inside and out. And because you know the job description so well, you can literally 
abilities or your core skills to the core skills that are asked for within the job description. So it's really important that you role play by going through the job description and drawing those parallels between mm -hmm. what they want and what you have. And that also brings us to something we touched upon very, very early, which is that resume element and making sure that your resume aligns with the job description in frankly, branding you the best way possible for the role. But preparing for the interview, it's really knowing the job description, knowing the company and knowing the skills they want so that you can highlight them, even if the recruiter doesn't necessarily ask you that particular question, you can steer the conversation into, I noticed Absolutely. in the job description, mm -hmm. yes, that it's very important that I have done this kind of work. I just wanted to highlight in my background that in fact I have, and this is how I did it. That's exactly. a great tip. And I that's think knowing that you have that, um, that a power to kind of steer the conversation. Mm -hmm. And if you go in informed, you're going to feel a lot more confident steering that conversation and kind of totally. interviewing the interviewer, which is a great technique as well. <laughs> and I think another just thing to remember is like they invited you in for a reason. If they didn't think you were, could be a potential fit, they wouldn't, they wouldn't waste their time on it. You know, recruiters and hiring managers have a zillion things on their calendar. So going in with that confidence already and say, Oh, you know, let me switch the script a little bit. They're inter I'm interviewing them as well. It's as much of an opportunity for me to explore if I want to work in that company. And I think those little mental things you can do can kind of help with the nerves and quell any anxieties that you might feel going into the interview. Because if they didn't think you were could have, could be a good fit, they wouldn't. Your resume would not end up in you know on their their monitor. They would not invite you in. That is such a good point, Jocelyn. Like. Because having that self-confidence, not arrogance, but self-confidence mm -hmm. of knowing they did choose you to come in is very important and use it as a Valium, use it to relax yeah. you a little bit because exactly. you're there because they see something in your background that definitely translates into the position. Yeah. And what about when you are there? Like, how do you really capture their attention and make sure they're hearing you because a lot of times you'll go in and they have their computer off to the side and their lap and their phone on the desk and you you see everything dinging and lighting up and you know they're <laughs> not a hundred percent listening um how do you any tips for how to really like capture them uh yeah uh eye contact for one mm -hmm. is don't let them get away with it I mean there are some great recruiters out there who are going to inform you and make you feel very comfortable. And a good recruiter will spend a few minutes just getting to know you to help, frankly, help you relax because the recruiter will get far more information from you if you're relaxed. Now, on the flip side, there are plenty of crummy recruiters out there. So that's where, number one, you've done your homework. And number two, immediately a great handshake eye contact now today during COVID, usually the first several meetings are over the telephone or they're over a Zoom. 
but so much of this can be done over the telephone and listening carefully for moments and nuance in how they are receiving you and how they're communicating and tailoring how you're chatting with them according to the vibe you're getting from them. And that's all done through the telephone or through mm-hmm. Zoom. I, Absolutely. I personally, I personally like the telephone more because both parties can take notes during it, mm-hmm. but eventually you're going to have to suck it up and do the Zoom. <laughs> exactly. And I think that um, that last point about mirroring is so important. Mirror your interviewer. Show your active listening skills. Listen for the nuances. Use those those opportunities to you know add um, you know some of your experience in the conversation that's relevant. So it's just things like if you're, for example, mirroring if you're um, the person you're interviewing with is really energetic, then you'll want to kind of try to match their energy level if they're more. Um, calm and relaxed, you'll want to try to match that too, because they'll feel most comfortable with you. So it's important to, I think, remember how you can, you know, manipulate in a positive way, the situation in your favor, because it's an art, it's a game, it's a craft interviewing, and we're not always taught it. So the more you can practice, the better, even if it's practicing with your friend, your partner in the mirror, you know, just practice it and it becomes more confident. It's like an after reading a script. Those are really great tips. Um, and something else. So you have the interview, which is its own set of struggles and, uh, and questions, but also before the interview, you probably had to submit a resume. So -hmm. let's just touch a little bit about resumes. Now, it's my understanding, maybe this is a myth or you'll tell me it's true, but there's like this, you send your resume off on the internet and it goes into a giant black hole to never be seen (laughs) by anyone. Or that's how it really feels when you've applied to a hundred jobs and you're qualified and you don't hear anything. So tell me, is, is there really a black hole or is someone looking at my resume? Uh, do you want me to answer that? No. <laughs> yes. okay. uh, all right. You know me well enough to know I'm direct if nothing else. Yes, it's a black hole. Um, so and, how do but I there's get something seen? important that takes you out. Well, to take yourself out of that black hole is you've yeah. got to do a few things. Number one, I kept talking before about marrying your skill set with the job description. So people are literally doing a Boolean search on your background and your resume will populate, bubble up um, if you have skills that are aligned with the job description, number one. Number two is you have to be a private detective and go on LinkedIn and find out who you may know in the company mm-hmm. where you, you're interested and try to get a backdoor introduction or be very clever and try to find out who are those HR professionals, who are the recruiters within the company, and try to submit your resume to them separately in tandem with submitting it to their online site or through LinkedIn, whatever portal they're using. So whether um, it's through SBD or it's through LinkedIn or it's through you know whatever, indeed, do all that work simultaneously 
And those searchable words are really, really critical to have your resume bubble up. And when you say bubble up and you said like the bullion search, how, how do you know what searchable words, does that mean you should be changing your resume for each job? Like you should be changing the words in your resume to match the description? Joshua. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I, um, I feel like the, the resume is a living, living document. I don't want to want to send the same resume for every single job that you apply to. It's, you should build a resume so that it's flexible and malleable and can kind of morph depending on, um, on the job you're applying to. So using keywords, pulling out the keywords that are in the job description, including that in your version of your resume that you're going to send in. I think it's, it's so important right now, especially since everything is searchable. Um, you know, and if you're going into like those VMSs, those, those vendor management management systems where, you know, the companies have like thousands of resumes in them. You want yours to have those keywords that are actually going to be bubble up or be pulled out by the person behind the machine, so to speak. Also, so yes. Yeah. Keep your also resume on flexible. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Also on LinkedIn in the about section and also your description of your job responsibilities you can you can play with that constantly. The about section is really, really important about, again, those key search words. That's, that's space that's very, very valuable real estate. And I don't care how junior you are or how senior you are, everybody uses LinkedIn. If they're a, head, a very senior headhunter, they have a researcher who's doing that for them. So, you know, will you see CEOs on LinkedIn? Sometimes you will, many times you won't, mm -hmm. but pretty much up to the SVP level, they're all using it. And it's really, really important. Again, you have those searchable words there. You, you got to keep playing with it all the time. One question about that. I was looking at this last night in preparation for today. I was taking a look at my LinkedIn and I wanted to change one little thing in, in that about or title section, um, something up at the top. And once I changed it, it asked me if I wanted to alert everybody, like, do I want that to be part of the blast, like the newsfeed? And I, I said no, but I wasn't sure. Like anytime I'm making those changes, do I want it part of that newsfeed feature? No, not unless you're adding, um, let's say in the featured section, you're adding a podcast that you just did. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. You want everybody to know that. If you're changing some words on your LinkedIn profile about your skills, no, that's not necessary at all. And actually people would like find it obnoxious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm glad if I you're said adding, no. <laughs> yeah, if you're adding a new skill or a new experience that's relevant to, you know, the that um, the jobs you are applying to, absolutely. But if you're just playing around with the language or making, you know, some little updates, yeah, you just probably want to hold off on that. Um, so we'll talk about more about LinkedIn in a minute, but I did want to come back because I had a few more questions about the resume. Um, so once you have the, you figured out the searchable terms, you figured out the wording you want to use for this specific job. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about like what, 
how, how the resume should look, how it should be formatted. Cause there are some things that I remember growing up that my mom had on her resume that I was very clearly told to take off, um, things like objectives and, and stuff like that when I was in college. But now I'm learning that maybe you do want to add some of those things at the top above your job and not just going right into job experience. So what are your, what are your takes on that? I am a big proponent and advocate for uh, the summary um, portion of your resume, which I feel should go right below your name and your contact information. It's anywhere from three to five sentences about who you are. It's your elevator pitch. That is so important, especially if you're pivoting careers, because that's really the valuable real estate where you can talk about those those transferable skill sets that we mentioned earlier, the things that you did in your previous job that are a mere fit to what your new job needs and the industries that you, you know, have, um, have, have been in. I think that it's the most important thing on a resume, especially for pivoters, because that's where you get to make the pitch about who you are and why you should be considered for this job, even though it's a tiny bit different or a lot different than your previous jobs. Mm-hmm. I agree completely, Jocelyn. Well said. Right at that section, you know, call it a summary section, but don't label it a summary section. Yeah, right exactly. below everything. Also, another thing which which is important on the resume, your name, your your email, and your mobile phone. Don't put your city in there. Yeah. It's so everybody's working from home. You don't want to close yourself off off to opportunities because of geography, because so many companies now are totally flexible about where you're located. Yeah. The other thing about that summary section, look at the resumes or the LinkedIn profiles of people who have made the pivot to help yourself with that language. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not saying plagiarize. I'm saying just do a lot of homework on people who have uh, made that change. How do they describe themselves? How do they describe their skill set? Because that's super helpful for that summary section. I agree completely. So, and you would agree too, Bucky, that basically you start at the top with your name and contact, some sort of about and summary. Some people break it out with name, contact information that summary section, but not labeled summary. And oftentimes people will do a couple of columns that are bulleted, you know, brand development is one bullet, mm-hmm. um, you know, business process and procedure, operations, whatever some of your stronger skills are, multi-platform design, um, multi-platform photo direction. Those are really core important competencies that can be bulleted. And, you know, you have two columns right there, right underneath that summary section that Jocelyn was talking about with some of these key tangible skills that you all have. And one um, thing that I, I see a lot when I read up on, you know, things you should have on your resume is there'll be something, a recommendation for a way to quantify your success at the top. Um, you know, I did X and I increased sales by $2 million. How would someone in the photo design world, what should they be putting there? I don't know how many 
more magazine covers it sold because I had a good shoot on the cover. If you can get some of that consumer marketing information, that would be super helpful because when you increase um, audience across multiple platforms, and I keep using the word multiple platforms because it's very rare that still somebody designed only for print because oftentimes you will have designed for print, but that is rolled out across all the other platforms. Are you actually using that? You know, are you coding that yourself? No, but your design work is being translated. So don't get caught up on that multi-platform language. I think that's really important to remember for this audience here. Mm -hmm. Um, But in answering your, your question, you know, I think you can work if you if you have a friend who understands what the audience growth was or what the sales growth was or the revenue growth i feel that if you're a salesperson that goes up in the bulleted section but if you're a photo director or a designer art director it might be better put under your job description sections and i'm a big data and an analyst wonk and i like seeing that information so if you can gather something and throw some of that data in there i think that's very important because what this what the sbd audience can do is they know consumers they know better than anybody how to draw consumers in and how to increase audience and engagement and that information is exactly what brands and marketing departments and other companies want. They want to know. They want to have people who know how to do that. That's a really good way to explain it. I'm going to have to make a call to my old marketing friend at EW and see uh, to get some of those numbers. This Game of Thrones cover sold this many dollars. <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are tangible. Those are tangible achievements, and everyone loves to hear numbers. That is very true. Um, So let's just touch a little bit back on LinkedIn again, because I know uh, a lot of people and previously myself, but not anymore, you converted me to love LinkedIn, um, really (laughs) just think LinkedIn is, is a snore and no one uses it. And as you've explained earlier, that's completely not true. And we should all really, really be using LinkedIn. And so one way I know you had said to apply for jobs is through LinkedIn. And and did you mean like you can do it directly through their website? Yes. I mean, oftentimes you can do it in tandem. You can apply using LinkedIn. There's a button that you hit and it goes right using your LinkedIn profile. And sometimes it'll say apply now and it will take you to Mm -hmm. another like greenhouse or workday or another tool that that particular company uses. Not every company aligns themselves with the LinkedIn portal for their applicants, but um, oftentimes it's very possible to do it. But hit whatever button it is to get your resume in there and to apply and then do your detective work. And when you're doing that detective work, and then I'm all about really, you know, doing a deep dive on the company and who works there and everything before um, I have an interview. Mm-hmm. But when you're clicking and all that, like, let's say I'm looking at the current photo director of this company, I'm looking at their LinkedIn, um, they're going to, a lot of times they're going to know, right? They can see like who's viewed your profile. Is it, are they flattered that I'm doing this investigative work or do they think it's stalkery? 
I think, well, I mean, if you're using the tool properly, I don't think they'll be offended. It's not like you're stalking them on Tinder. Or right. like <laughs> Sorry, it's, a good, it's the only analogy I could think of. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, maybe if you're like viewing them every day, it could be a little like unnerving, but I think, you know, you're just doing your research and diligence. And I, you know, there's a lot of different approaches you can take, um, you know, in your job search. And, you know, sometimes you have to be a little aggressive about it and a little proactive about it. And I've had candidates, I I use this example, sometimes, especially to um, junior and mid-level candidates who are not super comfortable with the LinkedIn world and maybe they're two or three years into it and they're definitely more on social media. Um, I had a candidate tell me that he was able to get a job with a company that he really was obsessed with by following them on Instagram. Every couple of days, he would post a response to their Instagram feed. And eventually he was able to kind of target them and say, hey, so-and-so, I, I do this. Are you hiring? And someone got back to him and he actually got an interview that way. So there are little, little things you can do that, you know, are outside of the box with LinkedIn and, you know, through social media. So I think that, you know, thinking creatively about your job search is there's not one right way to do it. You know, there's right. a million different avenues you can take. And sometimes you have to think outside of the box and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't but you just have to stay persistent in it. In it. I hired an intern that way once um, mm-hmm. at Entertainment Weekly. I, I worked on the um, photo department Instagram for a while. And this lovely kid, a college student in Oklahoma, sent a message or maybe a couple of messages, just always complimenting the work. And then one day yep. asked, do you need an intern? And yep. yeah, you, we do actually, yeah, I didn't do. even think about yeah. it. And mm-hmm. he was our intern for a few years. Shout out to Rogelio. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you can definitely, I was just a little nervous about the Instagram or the LinkedIn because it says you viewed it, but that makes a good point. You're doing your research. It shows you're taking initiative. Um, one other thing you'd mentioned about LinkedIn was when you're submitting your resume or when you have your resume on LinkedIn, and you're changing it consistently for different jobs. Cause if you're applying for a job in at HBO, that's a certain type of company mm-hmm. and you're going to have a certain vocabulary versus if you're applying for a job at GQ magazine, same Absolutely. job, completely different vocabulary. Are, are you changing your LinkedIn as much as you're changing your resume or can LinkedIn kind of just be as is and your resume is what's changing? Can I, let me qualify this just a little bit. When, you, when we talk about changing your resume, you're not redoing your entire resume. What you might be doing is moving your core competencies or your skills at the top mm-hmm. around to highlight the skills that are more relevant for the position uh, that you're going after. So yeah. you're not starting from scratch, punch That's me different. in the yeah. face. That would be absolutely <laughs> That would be torture. Terrible. I felt like that's what you, that's what you no. had implied. Let me I thought make that it was very like... clear. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, it's good. That little section up at the top, you, you're going to move your bullets around according to the job you're going for to highlight your experience in a smarter way. If you had to completely redo it every time, 
um, I'll meet you on the other side because right. I don't know when you'd ever be done. <laughs> yeah. You're, My thoughts yeah, exactly. They should have strong, you know, foundational elements and good bones, as I like to say, that you can kind of play around with and modify and right. kind of, you know, adjust according to the job that you're applying to. But you, yeah, there's no way you can be expected to rewrite your resume every time. So you want to make sure that that resume template, so to speak, you know, has, you know, those keywords that are easily to adjust, easy to adjust and move around. And, you know, that's also why, again, to go back to the professional summary, um, that's why it's just such a great, a great tool, because that's something you can modify easily and switch things out according to the job. Let me also bring up one other thing that's really important for the SPD audience, which is your banner on LinkedIn is an example of some of your work. So particularly with photo directors and design, some of the pages that and the design work that you've done can be across the back of your profile picture there. That is great real estate to show your work immediately. And also a link to your portfolio should be somewhere immediately on your resume or on your LinkedIn profile so they can click right to your portfolio and see your work. So that's, that's really important on LinkedIn. That's really a great tip. And it leads me to my next question. Other than the resume, really with a creative person, what for me at least, more than my resume is my portfolio mm-hmm. and my website. And that really shows who I am as a creator. So what are some things you guys look for when you're, when you're going to someone's, a creative director's website? What do you want to see? How do you want to organize to really get your attention? Okay, I can speak to this because I look at hundreds of portfolios every, every week. And um, a portfolio should be, first of all, easy to load. It should be easy. It should be simple. It should be clean. It should be relevant. Um, you know, even if you're, even if your campaign, like from 20 years ago is groundbreaking, chances are I'd rather see more current work up there. Um, and remember that a portfolio doesn't have to showcase every project you've ever done. It should be curated. It should be, you know, it should be relevant. It should be, um, you know, very easy to navigate. Do not, you know, do not use flash. If some people still use flash, it should not take an 20, you know, 30 seconds to load on a screen because, you know, there's the people who are reviewing those portfolios have like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things to go through and they might not have the bandwidth. So, you know, at times if portfolio should not frustrate the person on the other end, it should be, you know, simple, clean, relevant, well-organized, um, categorized by your types of campaigns. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. To- totally agree. I mean, the technology should be, you know, very seamless. If you want to categorize it, I think I've mentioned before, you know, a section for celebrity, yeah. for food, home. Um, you know, you can break it up. And I think that makes it nice and comfortable and easy for us to look at quickly because I'm clicking real fast. I'm going through really. Yeah, um, me too. I know we're seizing on LinkedIn a lot. Yeah, we're seizing on LinkedIn a lot. Um, 
And at some point, I do want to talk about social media because particularly for the SPD audience, I think social media is important. So I don't know. But anyhow, well, whatever it is around your portfolio, it should be relatively current. If it's too old, you've lost me already. Well, let's talk about social media because in addition to your website, most creatives that I know have a website and they have a Instagram. I mean, they have other social media too, but really most mm-hmm. uh, editorial uh, photographers and illustrators are are definitely on Instagram. Um, and I use it as a way personally to, I have like a work one and a personal one, but I do have them both mm-hmm. private because even with my work one, I don't want weird crazies looking at it. Is that bad? Should I be keeping <laughs> like it me? open? to the- <laughs> Weird but crazy like, recruiters and hiring managers. <laughs> should I just let it be, you know, even though it is strictly work that I've done, it's not personal. Do I need to let that be an open public account? So I'm seen, or is it okay that I have I, locked out? I mean, I think it should be viewed as your primary, primarily as a job search tool. And it shouldn't have like a personal, like, you know, privacy connection to it. Because honestly, if I've gone through, you know, it's, it should be public because you're trying to sell yourself. This is a marketing tool, your private one, keep it private where you're posting pictures of your friends and family and your day-to-day events. But I really believe that it should be public just like, um, you know, because that uh, extra step could cost you an interview if someone's having a really busy day and they're like, oh, I want to look at her work. And then you, they have to request permission. So they might just move on to the next. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done that with just like if I'm working a, a, a job that needs to be turned around in two days, it's a freelance job for my client and a candidate sends me a complicated website with two or three passwords. <laughs> I might just move on to the next person, honestly, because I don't have time for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to be frank. So I believe it should be public. What do you think, Becky? <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I have hired off of Instagram. I really? have hired so many people off of Instagram. I've hired writers. I've hired photo people. I've hired art directors. I've hired fashion stylists, fashion editors. I have hired so many people. I've even hired analytics people. I mean, I have hired a lot of people off of Instagram and it depends. Listen, it's an opportunity for you to curate your public one. Um, I think my grandson's absolutely delicious. So he's on Instagram all the time. However, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not using Instagram to showcase myself. Um, but when you are in a very visual oriented kind of job, Instagram is a very important tool for you to curate for yourself. I am very hesitant, but I feel like I might just pull the plug on the private account, but I'm very nervous about it. But um, be, this is, I have a question, and if you don't know the answer to it, we can totally edit this out. Um, but another question about having a public account, um, I know with photographers, there's a lot of, and and illustrators too, there's a lot of um, lawsuits that come up and questions about the ownership of those images. So if a photographer posts his body of work on Instagram, are other people allowed to then take it? What's, is there any protection or anything you know about 
that well, what about, security. Yeah, I've, I've seen um, photographers and illustrators specifically um, put water. I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but put watermarks on their their photos so they won't be used again. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're kind of getting at? Well, that's that's one way to yeah make sure it's not used to again. It. Yeah, to so protect that someone's it. Someone's not stealing your image because there are copyright infringements, and you know it's it's really unfortunate um, that things like that happen um, online. So, I mean, I think the watermark is one way to pr- protect it. I'm not a big, you know, I understand the need for passwords as well you know, especially on a website. So if you have very protected content, maybe think about doing a password, but then that can also slow down the viewers. You're getting into a legal area that is very complex. It's like, you know, intellectual property laws. And you guys, several of you remember when we went through a lot of that work regarding photography back in mm-hmm. back in the day, there was there's a lot of work behind it. If it's your work and if you were really part of the concepting and you were really part of um, the design and you have every right to put that on in your portfolio, you can explain it in person if it's ever questioned. And if it's poached, it's a chance you're taking. I mean, you want your portfolio to be accessible and you understand all of that. You, you know, so you're, it's a, this question is above my pay grade, frankly, as far as the real legal ramifications about, around all of this. But, you know, I think it's a risk you need to take in the work that you do. And I've seen a lot of um, designers and art directors and on their portfolio actually provide a little summary of the project and kind of call out the other people who are actively participating in it. So that's one way I think that you can, you know, show that the work is yours and really elaborate on your role. Because so many of these Mm -hmm. projects that are on portfolios are collaborations and, you know, it's important to give credit where credit is due. Like I see a lot of designers give credit to their art directors or art directors give credit to their designers, which I think is a really good practice and it makes everyone happy. I agree. I think that's super important because it does take a team to really pull something off. It's not just one person. There's so many people there. Um, That, that was really helpful. I'm, I'm definitely going to pull the plug and make my account public and Yay, hopefully can get... I follow you on it? <laughs> yes. Can... <laughs> I'll be sending my friend requests out. Um, so I guess that's really it in terms of the questions I have. But if you have any, before we leave, like any other tips or words of encouragement or tools that we should be using and things that we should be doing, um, because especially coming out, hopefully we are coming out of COVID now with vaccines. And I think, I feel like next year is going to be a time where people are, are reevaluating their jobs mm-hmm. and maybe changing jobs or deciding they do want to stay, but anything people should start thinking about now for the future. Can I make one point? I don't think we dove in enough on, and I'll be very brief, um, which is people you know who have made the pivot. Yes. Um, mm. Those are great, great resources. We've talked, we've talked about getting your mind in the right place. We've talked about your resume. We've talked about LinkedIn, talked about competencies and skills and aligning with job descriptions. Network is so critical to you 
your success and using your network. But to get your mind in the right place and to do all this practicing, talk to your friends, talk to people you know professionally who have actually made that pivot to the brand side or into a marketing department or something different. Because how did you do it? What was the scariest thing? How did you Mm -hmm. position yourself? How did you get heard? How did you communicate? Pummel questions and learn from people who've done it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that network is so essential and it can, you know, boost your confidence as well. And you'll say, oh, so-and-so did it. So I can do it as well. So it's just, you know, having that valuable connection and, and utilizing it. It's, it's so important. Bucky, I'm going to throw that question back to you because you worked at um, Time Inc. Mm-hmm. Publishing House for a very long time. And after Time Inc., you went to MediaLink. I did. Um, And so that, to me, was quite a change, right? It's not like you went from Time Inc. to Hearst or or to back to Condé or anything. So how did you do it? What what were your uh, things that got you there? Because I knew the industry. I knew media, entertainment, marketing, and advertising so intimately having filled all those kinds of positions to go then to MediaLink to do executive search. I had a dual executive search and business advisory. My talent has always been in the past is I'm not a typical, I don't just put fannies in chairs. I really try to do organizational design work. And I really think about diversity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. culture, thinking, audience. And so I knew I could add that value to MediaLink and that's what they saw in me as well too. And as I continued to do my coaching and my talent and culture advisory work, it really is about brand development. It's about audience. So it's not just media that you do it in. We're doing it in everything we digest everything we read, everything we go. And particularly now, since everybody is so glued to information, no matter how they receive that information, that helped me pivot. So mm-hmm. that's, and also too, I, I'm not going to lie. I did a lot of work on saying, okay, yeah, you had a great career doing this in media, but now, sweetheart, it's time for you to try something completely different and hold your nose and go ahead and do it because I <laughs> love being intellectually challenged. Same. I uh, really have taken a turn for instead of just doing editorial, not just doing, but doing editorial celebrity shoots mostly. And boy, the, the mental stimulation has been incredible. And especially coming out of COVID where you know, I, my, everything in my mind was, was around the toddler world and Daniel Tiger and, and playing mom and, and mm-hmm. playing all day. And so to go from that to working in entertainment and working in advertising, boy, what a change. And I didn't realize how much I needed that. And I was almost it's so good for you stuck. So good. I didn't realize so that good. I was stuck and I, and so that was really great. And I guess one other question, um, before we go, if, if someone is ready to make that change and they've really thought about, and they've talked about it with a therapist or their friends. And the question for both of you is if somebody wanted to maybe get a career coach or go to a recruiting agency, 
um, and, and Jocelyn, we can start with you with the agency. What, what do they do? If I, I know I need a job, how do I go to you? How do I get into creative circle to get a job? Well, we actually, um, we have an online job portal, our website, black where hole. You can upload, yeah, I know the black hole where you can upload your, your resume. You, you can also, um, you know, re- go on LinkedIn, reach out to a recruiter, um, apply to our job posts. And um, so that's kind of one way to get in touch with us. Um, you can email me your resume if you want. <laughs> you can take a look and see if we can help. <laughs> I need to reformat it now with the way the formatting you gave me, but then I will for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's just about using your network. Um, you know, Creative Circle, we're, we're very specialized in the type of talent that we represent as well. And, um, you know, because we're a, a staffing agency, um, you know, we, we kind of curate our talent based upon the needs of our clients. Um, so we're not the best resource for everyone in the creative field, but we definitely, we definitely have our niche. Um, so, you know, you can always, you can, and you can encourage your, um, the listeners to also be fit within, you know, our, you know, the type of talent we represent to upload their resumes and, you know, a recruiter will be in touch if they're a fit. Awesome. And Beck and, and Bucky, if someone wanted, uh, felt like they needed or were ready for some coaching, um, what process, what process do you do for something like that? I, I tend to focus on the executive level coaching, but I'm always happy to talk to somebody for 30 minutes. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing to do. Um, I do the work on people who are pivoting in their careers, but I tend to focus on the VP level and above mm-hmm. just because we do such a deep dive on their backgrounds, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I'm coaching people 25, 35, 45, 55 years old. It's all about that pivot. Um, Mm -hmm. But I charge, (laughs) but I'm happy to do it for 30 minutes for somebody to just help them get their head wrapped around it the right way. Amazing. And I'll be signing up with both of you. It's all all about networking, network, 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 network. And it's, yeah, networking, of course, with your professional circle and you know, circles that you want to be involved with, but also using your internal network, your friends, your family for support in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, being expressive about your next steps and what you're looking for. And kind of, I think what we talked about when we first started, this was like that emotional component of pivoting of job search, getting comfortable with it and knowing that, you know, with your hard work, you'll come out okay on the other end because people do it all the time. You know, it's not, it's not like this unchartered territory and people have successful results. So I think it's important to keep that in mind too, because it can be very daunting and overwhelming, but, you know, do it right step-by-step step, and you'll get to where you want to be. Great advice. That is a great, great thing <laughs> to add. <laughs> Wonderful words of wisdom. So thank, thank you, you both so much for, for being with us today. I think is you had so much valuable information for our listeners um, yeah, I was, I was, had a really great talk with you both. Great. It was wonderful. It was so much fun. Thank you. I love Thank seeing you. you. 
I send Bye. hugs and kisses Bye. to everybody and have fun on this journey. It's great. Yes. Yay. Have fun. You'll learn a lot and know that you have potential and you'll get to where you want to be. It will happen. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Who the F Did That Career Special Part 2 podcast. The tips shared from Bucky and Jocelyn were incredible. And in case you're looking for even more career guidance, go back and listen to part one of our series with HR specialists and career coaches from the Detroit and New York writing room out now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the SPD website. Also head over to our website to check out our upcoming events. If you're an SPD member and you miss the major props event featuring Victoria Granoff, Mary Howard, Megan Caponetto, that was moderated by People Magazine's Allison Teresi, well, you missed a really fun evening. But fear not, you will be able to watch it for free on our website in the upcoming weeks. That's just another perk to be an SPD member. Also, major shout out to our sponsors for the event, Acme Brooklyn, Hook Props, NoHo Productions, NoHo Surface, and Set Shop. Make sure you book them for your next shoot and tell them SPD sent you. Also, mark your calendars. Entries for the 2021 Photo and Design Competition will be due soon. Check back for specific dates, but do yourself a favor and don't wait until the last minute. Start pulling those PDFs now. Entries are due before the end of the year, and the last thing you want to be doing during your holiday break is searching multiple hard drives, multiple servers, all looking for a final layout when your IT department is nowhere to be found. Thank you for listening.